Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, May 28th, 2023. Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, the adult ministries pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Hi, I'm Brennan Dyer, and I serve as the pastoral intern this summer. I'm Keller Brady, I serve as the senior pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. It's officially Brendan. summer. Yeah. Welcome, Brendan. Yeah, thank you. He Thanks actually made me. his debut last week. He, he did. Just kind of threw in a few thoughts, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. but but he is officially on this time. He's got yeah. his own desk. He's yeah. got a, Glad his to be own here. mic. Yeah. How was uh, How was Memorial Day weekend? Just good. Just good. Good family time. Lots of yard work. We went to the parade. Did you do you do the parade? Went to the parade. Yeah, yeah. I like it because it's short, short and sweet. It's it's just you know under twenty yep, minutes. Yep. All the bands from yep. town are there. Yep. The Fourth of July one gets a little lengthy. It does, with the political content. <laughs> and then there's like, yeah yeah. I like I like just. Sorry, my mic turned off. I like just seeing the kids. I like seeing seeing the bands in you know the middle school and the it's high awesome. school. Yeah, that's fun. I feel old though. I didn't recognize anybody in any of the bands. Like, I looked for the Kerensky kids, but yeah. I, could, I didn't spot any. Anyway, that used to be my least favorite thing to be part of in the summer. You I, were in the band. I was in band, kind of. My parents required us to do an instrument. Yeah. So, what was your instrument, tuba? No, I wish I picked the clarinet. I don't know. <laughs> so, so I didn't seem very cool. So I like switched to bass clarinet and saxophone. But marching with a bass clarinet. Difficult. I was not very good because I never practiced. So I'd literally just walk holding it. I mean, trying to play one of those things while you're walking, they're huge. I would pay money to see you back then. That sounds hilarious. It was awful. So the the relief for me, uh, my freshman, sophomore years, I played football. And so I didn't have to do any marching band stuff because I absolutely hated that. Um, And then... In the band room, I just would sit in the chair and pretend to play. So how tall are you? 6'4". And when did you reach 6'4"? What age? Oh, I don't know. Probably college. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I was tall in high school, but I grew a bunch in college as well. I was probably six foot in high school. That's what I was aiming. What position did you play in football? Wide receiver and defensive back. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it relieved me from having to do that. And then... You grew four inches in college? No. Really? Yeah. I grew a ton. Um, And then my junior and senior year, I played piano instead, so I didn't have to do any of that band stuff. I, I couldn't stand the band thing and performing, so I always am relieved to not be in the summer marching band. You're wearing those outfits, and it's so hot. Oh, man, and, it looks brutal. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And people take it so seriously. I love seeing the, the old veterans in yeah. the parade. Yeah. I love standing and clapping and cheering them on and just yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, service recap. How was... You tell I us. I was GBC. You, you were up there. No, we were up at, at Poplar. I, man, I thought it was great. People sang loud. Yeah. Like, it looked really full, Matt, from the video. You draw um, a crowd, Matt. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, well, my, my dad was there. That was cool. My yeah. dad uh, was in town, and um, that was fun. There were several GEBC yeah. families there. I got yeah. texts from folks that said you did really yeah. well, and I enjoyed listening to you oh, preach good. online. And, Praise God. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved watching. I mean, maybe it was families of the the musicians and stuff too, but it was loud. 
Yeah, yeah, and the yeah, uh, Joe, we had a John Graham served on bass. Yeah, and he played bass. So his family was there. The Celine was up, so Thor was there. So you know, yeah. we, there were it some. Adds. Yeah, yeah, but it yeah. was cool. And in that room, um, two or three new families make a difference. It that's, does. That's why we're trying to recruit a core team. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So how was it? How how was it here? It was good. I I did excellently. <laughs> Hot fire. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, it was fun, fun to sing together as a church, and I enjoyed the passage, and so. Yeah, I I did. Te- I think I texted you yesterday or the day before. Like, I just I enjoy delivering a message of hope mm-hmm. to people. Yeah, um, I just enjoy that message maybe more so than more judgment. so than a lot. What's that? I said hope more so than a judgment passage. Yeah. <laughs> Which Grant seems to always get. You have a good passage this week, Grant. I do. It's really exciting. I'm <laughs> looking forward to preaching. <laughs> I told Grant, Grant preached a summary of 12 chapters about three weeks ago. And I said to Grant on the Monday after, I said, that's the hardest assignment preaching you will ever have. I sure hope so. <laughs> that was heavy lifting. Brendan, if you could, if you could choose anything to preach on. Oh. Uh, thematically, what would thematically? you thematically? Yeah, what I think, do you think a general. I mean, general sense of hope. I think my favorite passage from Isaiah. I wrote a paper on it in in college. Uh, Isaiah forty three. Yeah, I really love the center of that passage where it says, "I love you." Mm. I think that's the only spot in the Bible where like the Lord actually writes down the three words, "I love you." Mm. So I would love to, if we could preach on that, I would love to do that. Yeah. What that's are you doing cool. Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can take my spot, man. It's totally fine. You've got Isaiah 53 this weekend? Yes, I do. Yeah. Awesome. It's considered the pinnacle of Old Testament prophecy. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's just full of Jesus. And it's good. What, are you at Poplar this week? No, I'm... You, you're here. Here at Hillside. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yep. I'll tell a little story on Brendan just in review of Sunday. So uh, I came in and uh, was roaming around in the Welcome Center. And um, we have a group of ladies who are full of years and wisdom who show up on Sunday mornings early, like, let's see, service starts at 9. They're, they're in the building by 8.30, 8.40. Oh, and that would be late for them. Okay. They're, so, they're here real early. Like, as soon as the coffee is poured, they're drinking it. Right. So, and, they, and there's six or so of them, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they gather in Rathbun, they catch up, they laugh. It's a really a lot of fun. Anyway, I turned the corner out of the Welcome Center into Rathbun Hall, and Brendan sitting in the middle of them. <laughs> it was yeah, awesome. Was I just—it's good work. It's, yeah, it's cool. Uh, you know, as a pastoral intern, it'd be easy to to hang out on the, the margins. Um, and they're they're so friendly, so warm. I'm yeah. sure it was easy, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. They were talking about shoes, so I love shoes myself. So I <laughs> oh thought, gosh. why not? Why not join the conversation? <laughs> oh, so fun. many jokes, so little time. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's, let's get let's get into some questions. All right, first up, Happy Memorial Day. Hadn't thought about there being a scriptural defense of being a soldier. What would you say to those who raise the historic abuses of power by the armies general, generally and the American army specifically as a support for pacifism? Yeah. So when we talk about pacifism, we want to talk about. An individual, we want to distinguish between an individual ethic and a group ethic. By that I mean, most pacifists still believe that we should have police and that we should have armies for defense of community and country. 
pacifists are not usually so radical as to think we don't need protection against evil. Most pacifists draw the line on harming others as individuals. Uh, they certainly want to include protecting the weak. So while it's true that the American army has not been perfect, uh, there have been crimes committed uh, by the American armies of the past. Uh, there have been abuses of power, both foreign and domestic, but the historic abuses of power do not change our need for protection from evil. We still need someone to defend the weak and protect and preserve justice. In Romans 13 details um, that governing authorities, in verse 4 it says, "Gods are God's servants. Governing authorities are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. And it goes on, if, if you do evil, you should fear the sword, is the point of Romans 13. We should submit to governing authorities and and submit in, in being moral. Frankly, what we need, I think, uh, is more Christian soldiers. We need soldiers that uh, understand the biblical call to preserve justice and, and soldiers that want to reflect the character of God. Jesus actually commended a Roman centurion for his faith. And, and so we see Jesus lauding, praising this Roman centurion for having faith. And, and he doesn't say to him, hey, you need to stop being a soldier. You've got so much faith. Why are you bothering being a soldier? He actually encourages him. He says, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. So we, you know, an integrous, moral soldier full of the Holy Spirit would be a real blessing, uh, police as well. We should remember love of country is a good thing. Just because we love God above all else does not mean we don't love any other things. We are citizens of heaven for sure and first and foremost, but we're also citizens of America. And as God's people, we should be excellent citizens, the best possible citizens we can be. And soldiers can certainly serve the citizenry well and be excellent citizens. The real difficulty comes in soldiering. Um, when, we're, when you're given an unethical order. That's the difficulty. Um, or a policeman uh, who is yeah. directed in that way. I think, I mean, there's obviously lots of nuance in the conversation and you can kind of go on for a long time. Um, but I'll often think about, you know, a peaceful state of being is the eternal state we'll be in. So it's the ideal we'll eventually get to. But we we do live in a, a broken world right now. So to act as if it's all at peace, uh, to not be a soldier or to not defend somebody actually can neglect mm. the calling that God's given us, right? To stand up for those who might not be able to stand up for themselves. So yeah, conceptually, I think while I love the idea of peace and um, I think violence, sometimes we get there too quickly. So it should still be even as a group. Um, I would like for it to be a decision later on down the road, not the first response. Um, Absolutely. But to, to keep it as an available response actually is caring for many, many people uh, as hard as that can be. That said, right, there's all kinds of poor motives and potentially in government use of soldiers and armies and that type of thing. Um, but uh, as a concept, I, th I think at least the, the soldiering and being a soldier has some some real validity to it, and especially that idea, as you're saying, having soldiers who are thinking in a Christ-like manner and trying to uphold the values of the kingdom of God in the midst of what is certainly 
uh, a very, very hard situation with lots of evil probably predominant. Yeah. Anybody else? Good. All right. Uh, next one. You talked about the Mosaic Covenant and the Abrahamic Covenant in this the is, Old this Testament. This must be for you, Matt. This must be I for me. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh, you're good. Um, what impact do these covenants have on believers living after the New Testament? So uh, I spent a little bit of time before, before I went into the sermon just talking about um, context. And so basically what I said was our sandbox that we're playing in today is, and gave some context of Isaiah 40, that it's broken into two books with two major themes. And then the playground that the sandbox is in is the old the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant explain what those were, what the differences were. And, and I found that helpful. I should say. Oh, good. It was an, good. it was an excellent review. Yeah. Um, your, your whole intro there. I know this is kind of off the topic, but your whole intro and kind of explaining stuff was really, really helpful to center or place specifically what you were talking about in the broader context of both Isaiah yeah. and scripture. In general. You know, I remember, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, being 27 and sitting in church service for the first time and, being in the Old Testament and just being like, wait. What is going on? What? Like, Yeah, uh, I remember you, being you, 35 and sitting. <laughs> <laughs> I know, no, I, and more recently too, but just, I, I was I had in mind just people newer to the faith, you know, and, and just like, even, and I even well, addressed. Because, yeah, biblical illiteracy is at a point where I think those reviews of some of the, the most basic elements lay that foundation is really, really helpful. Yeah, I mean, we talk about a lot of this stuff every day, yeah. whether it's a podcast or just bouncing off ideas or sermon prep or whatever, and it's easy to forget. Like, It's easy to, to just forget that, oh, yeah, this isn't just... Like, I remember being, I spent a little bit of time on this too, talking about the difference between Israel, Judah you know, Jerusalem, Israel, like it's confusing. Yeah. It's confusing. It's like, wait a minute. Now you're calling them Judah. Yeah. But they, but wait a minute, but aren't they Israelites? But wait a minute, then there's two kingdoms and one is Israel. So does that mean, it's just, con- yeah, there's a lot there. It can get really clumsy if someone right. doesn't lay yeah, it out for yeah, you. Yeah. So anyway, so we did that. Um, and so this question is what impact did those covenants have on believers living after the new Testament? Go for it. Go for it. Uh, okay, cool. It, so um, if you're asking, like, how does this affect me today? Uh, the, the Mosaic Covenant for me serves as a reminder that God's standard of righteous living is above any bar that any human or nation can achieve on their own. The Abrahamic Covenant serves as a reminder that not, not only does God desire a relationship with us, he's willing to make a way possible for this to happen, knowing that, knowing that if it were to rely upon us, even even just a percent, we would fail. So it helps me reflect on the heart of God, his compassion, his supremacy, his intelligence, all of that. Um, both of these covenants strengthen my faith as I think about them. And, and then, of course, the Abrahamic covenant gives me hope and certainty that God is still at work to bless the nations and that those I'm praying for can come to a saving faith in Jesus. That's He's good. still at work and his word is eternal. We should say to the listener out there that uh, if you want to go hear Matt's sermon, you can dial it up on YouTube. Just search Poplar Creek Church, and it's there in the Poplar Creek Church channel. So you could get yep. you could get the background if if this is all new to, to you. Abrahamic yeah. Mosaic covenants. Yeah. 
What, uh, how, how does that play out for you guys? Yeah, so the Abrahamic covenant is, you know, it's a blessing to bless all the people of the world through Abraham's seed. That's being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, praise God. Um, so all those who are in Christ are part of Abraham's family. They're being included. Paul writes in Romans that it's like uh, grafting a branch into a tree. The tree would be Israel. And so we're being, as Gentiles, we're being added in through faith in Christ to the promise that was given to Abraham. The Mosaic Covenant is a little trickier. And um, <clears throat> like you said, it's uh, God condescended on Mount Sinai, spoke with Moses, and gave him the law. Beautiful. Yep. In fact, there's uh, we should take the opportunity here to say that Pentecost was Sunday. Again, God condescended and wrote his law on our heart. Those two, so if you're following Christ, the Spirit's with you, and the law of God is on your heart. And the biblical narrative is beautiful when you see how the covenants are being worked out and um, how God's caring for his people and saving folks apart from anything that they do. So I, I, you know, you say, you know, tangibly, when you go into the Old Testament and you read the law, uh, first thing I do is I, I, I look to see how or if this law was interpreted in the New Testament. Did Christ handle this law? Did Paul address this law? So that I can know how to, to navigate it as a 21st century Gentile believer. Um, and then because we always fall short, our, our flesh can't live out the law. We can't keep the law perfectly, um, I'm, which is not an excuse to continue in, in ungodliness or unrighteousness. I'm asking the Spirit to do the work to, to care f for me and, yeah. and, and work this out. You know, one of the uh, roadblocks um, uh, many Christians will kind of come up against is they'll have, maybe if they're just in a, a debate, an argument, a back and forth, conversation, um, they may come across, you know, somebody saying, well, what about in the Old Testament when it says X, Y, Z, you're supposed to do this or you're not supposed to do that? Well, you're doing this now, or why don't you still do that? Or what was that about? And it's, you know, they give an, uh, nothing's coming to mind right this second, but they give an example that's, wouldn't be applicable today at all. You know, how, how do you guys respond to things like that? How would you, uh, you know? Well, let's, let's, um, Let's give an example. Let's, uh, you blended your clothes uh, cloth. Oh, so, yeah, right, so you have, right. you've used two different types of fabric, yeah. uh, which was anathema in the Old Testament, um, to blend different types of wool with cotton in that. So um, the reason many of these laws looked forward to are... are imaged gave tangible demonstration of the separateness of Israel and the purity or the holiness of Israel. And so the, the purity of Israel, holiness means to be set apart. So not blending your threads, your cloth, I'm searching for words here, but uh, was a, a reminder that there's to be no blending or incorporating in the broader world of the people of God with the things that are evil. Not that particular threads are evil, but blending with the world. In fact, there's an interesting question that comes up in a minute, how easy it is to love the things of the world and we're to be holy and drawn apart. So the law was to remind, but today we don't think about that law. We, you know, dress ourselves and, and try to remain modest. That's the calling. But, um, 
but the whole the call to holiness has not gone away. So what you do in the Old Testament is you you look for uh, how to live out the purpose of the law. Yeah. Not uh, not simply keep uh, keep each. Um, Element and these were so. Here we want to dis, divide between. There are different types of laws in the Old Testament. There yes. was ceremonial law in which um, bulls and goats and rams and doves would lose their lives and and blood would be offered. Clearly, we're not doing that. Christ was the la- last sacrifice. Yeah. There's the civil law, which had to do with things like um, how. Um, the, the clothing laws and, and how we relate to each other to a degree or how we maintain our society. And, and then there's the, the criminal law or the, the, the covenant law, like uh, do not murder, do not steal. So yeah. the Ten Commandments still stand. Yeah. But um, the, the particularities of the, the societal codes of not blending claws ha- have faded away. Yeah. I like how you worded that, that you, to find the purpose of the law. Well, to see how yeah. it's applicable yeah. today, because Jesus talked a lot about it, and he got attacked. Hand washing was constant, and Jesus didn't wash his hands, yeah. and, and neither did uh, in the ceremonial way. Yeah, that which is it's interesting because in some laws, Jesus, we, you know, he was attacked, and his disciples were attacked for working on the Sabbath or for whatever, and Jesus kind of blows it up, you know. But at, at the same time, he, Jesus takes other laws and says, "You're not hardcore enough, right?" Like. Right. Like you You've s- heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, anyone who even lusts, even looks lustfully, has committed yes. adultery in their heart. So he does functionally raise the bar, particularly on the Ten Commandments. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's, it, there's also like a section of thought where if it, the Old Testament law, if it's not, when it's repeated in the New Testament, that's what's equated for us today. And so we must follow those things, everything that he... Um, has reiterated, reiterated like in the yeah. in the Beatitudes or even in the Sermon on the Mount. In general, he's writing the law on our hearts. That's like the whole. He's taking the office of mm-hmm. Moses and doing that for us, telling us how to live the moral law um, out today. And so I think um, Christ is our example. He does fulfill the civil law and the ceremonial law mm-hmm. in his own um, the way he acts, his perfect life, but also in the way he's a sacrificial death. He, he is our sacrificial lamb that we no longer lead, need anymore. And so, but he does reapply the moral law on our hearts today. And I think that's um, important for us to understand. Yeah, that was good. Uh, all right, let's, let's go to the next one. What would you say if I were to tell you that as a Christian, I don't feel an acute need for God's comfort? Am I missing something? This would depend on context for me, someone's life, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it depends... It, it's Somebody really, actually uh, mentioned this question to me as I came down out of the pulpit saying, hey, great sermon. What do I, hmm. what would you say to me? I just don't, I feel like I'm good. Like I'm, you know, here, this is a little bit of an aside, but something I love about our church and pastoral ministry in general is that answer could go a million different ways. And if you don't know the person you're talking to, it's really hard to give them yeah. a proper response. And the relational nature, even kind of what you're mentioning with, Brendan, going in and talking to people in the gym, getting to know people on an individual level allows for the appropriate response. It does, and it is a, it is a beautiful part of the, the church, our, this church in our particular size. The, the room in which we gather for worship and our facility allows for connectedness in a way that some churches 
don't. But um, so we try to actually we try to play up that strength. All right. So uh, here's what I said to the person that came forward and asked. I said it may mean that you're unaware of your sinfulness. <laughs> you may just be completely unaware. Uh, you may be cut off from your emotions. In other words, you may not feel uncomfortable or disquieted about your sin so that you're, you're not, you don't realize you're at odds mm -hmm. with God. Um, and you need to do some work to get in touch with your own feelings. There was a season in my life where I, I realized that I knew a very small range of feelings. Um, and, and I had to work really hard with a counselor to get a, a grander breadth of emotional um, acumen. But while it's certainly true that some are more emotional than others, in other words, some feel more feelings more easily and more often than others as a function of their wiring, the truth is that we all sin daily and are in need of God's care, his comfort daily. The knowledge of our sin will produce what the Bible describes as a godly sorrow if we're connected to God. So I asked him, I said to this person that I know pretty well, I said, well, maybe you're, you're repenting regularly so that this morning you're in a good spot. Um, and he went on to say, yeah, you know, I think I have a rhythm in life. And he described a rhythm in life uh, uh, on how he's with the Lord, in the presence of the Lord daily. His, and he, as he was reflecting, he says, I think I might feel um, at ease this morning because I've, I've carved out this rhythm, even going so far as he, he doesn't start his public day, access to the, the public nature of his job until 10 a.m. He'd rather work later in the evening, and I get texts and emails from him till all hours of the night, but he'd rather work later in the evening, but in the morning he starts his day with the Lord. And I said, well, it could be that that rhythm has set you up to keep a very short account with the Lord so that you're doing daily business with the Lord and, and, and frankly, receiving his comfort regularly. Uh, I think this does segue or dovetail, maybe is a better uh, word, with the previous question even. It, in part, like you said, depending on where someone's at, this is the purpose of the law, right? So we, as we read it and we reflect on it, we get to see uh, where are ways that I'm not measuring up to what God's standard is because I can be really... Uh, maybe more gracious with myself. Self-deceived. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, I can deceive myself of like, ah, it's not really that bad or this thing is okay. The law really helps me see the gap between um, the holiness that God is asking us to participate in or that God represents um, and where I actually live. So regular reflection on that is a, a fairly helpful piece for me to say like, oh, yes, now I'm aware of my sinfulness. I, I actually do need to think through that, reflect on it regularly. Um, so that, that is part of it too. I, I would say for some people, it's not realizing the depth or the nature of their sinfulness because they haven't actually spent time um, reflecting on what, what are God's expectations? What is the standard that he's set? Yeah. So. You know, you... Um the context right now seems to be more in your sinfulness, needing comfort. The context I was mostly in was like suffering, uh, comfort from, for, from pain, from suffering, from that kind of stuff. So I took the question as like uh, from that perspective. He's in a healthy, physically healthy season. Right. Ah. Which, you know, like I, I would just have questions uh, about that. Like 
to me, like there could be a couple possibilities that you, maybe you haven't suffered much in your life. That could be true. Well, I also want to know, you know, the word acute is in the question. So if I don't feel an acute need for, for comfort, um, does that mean to say, does that mean that you do feel com the need for comfort, but it's not as great as other people? That's fine. Mm -hmm. We all have different, we're all on different, you know, parts of the spectrum, but, um, but one, maybe you haven't suffered much in your life or two, maybe you have suffered, but you've buried it and not dealt with it properly. Um, so I can, I can speak to it in my case, um, especially as a guy, cause we, and we do this, uh, for many, many years, a couple decades, I just kind of buried my parents' divorce because it's so commonplace that I had convinced myself that like, this isn't any kind of big deal because it happens to over half of our country. So, you know, uh, it, so stop whining. Exactly. Like then it shouldn't be a big deal. And so it wasn't until my early forties where, you know, all of that through counseling kind of got unearthed and brought back up and it, and there was some things there. There was a lot of stuff there that I needed to sift through and, get emotionally connected with instead of disconnected with and work through it. And it was a really good process. So if this would have been me 20, 15 years ago, I would have probably said the same thing. Well, yeah. I don't really feel a big need for, you, you know what I mean? Right. So I'm not saying this is the case for this person, but if anyone is, feels it's like the case this, for lots of people. That, sure. Yeah. Right. Right. So there may be some good, I'm Good looking at Brendan's work. notes here. Brendan probably has something to say. Yeah, I was thinking um, just the context of Isaiah in general, them being in exile. I think Isaiah 40 speaks, uh, in verse 2 at least, uh, says that she, uh, Israel, has experienced a double portion, received from the Lord's hand a double portion for all her sins, meaning like she's experienced judgment. And I think the Lord knows exactly what we need at whatever moment we're in. And so when we're, the Lord's giving at least um, his people comfort during this time. And I think there's different moments where the Lord calls um, and tells people and gives them what they need during different moments. And so in a time of um, comfortability, he might be calling us to like push out and go, maybe go spread the gospel, maybe go do something that's maybe out of our comfort zone so that when we're in those uncomfortable moments, he can give us comfort in, in those times. And so I think um, it could be a call to go um, outward and be you know, called to be in more uncomfortable situations. Well. Have you ever heard the saying, uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted? Mm -hmm. Comfortable? Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there is a, I was, Brendan's comment made me think, one of the, some of the value of fasting in a suburban culture is we are so physically comfortable that um, we eat and sleep and exercise. We're just, we, we organize our days. And for goodness sakes, America, you know, there's talk in Europe, active talk in Europe about going to a four-day week, work week. And some of that's bleeding into America. So we're, we're frankly very physically comfortable. One of the values of spiritual disciplines, particularly disciplines like fasting, which Brendan's comment made me think of, was we afflict ourselves with, we, as comfortable people, we, we give ourselves the affliction, uh, self-denial, going without. And when we do that, the character traits that need to be addressed by the Lord bubble to the surface. 
Um, so I, I, I liked what Brendan had to say about we, maybe we need to put ourselves in some, some risky or slash, mm-hmm. you know, uncomfortable seasons, uh, situations, evangelism being one of that, that can take us out of our comfort zone. Sure. And I, I don't think when God's offering comfort, I mean, certainly every good gift is from God. So all the things that make us comfortable, uh, gifts from God. But I, and you pointed this out in your sermon, Kelly, um, when we're reading about God's comfort, I don't, I don't often think of it as um, someone praying to God so that they can be more comfortable in life, right? I, I don't think that's God's highest aim for us. <laughs> um, and even the, the fasting piece, is one of the ways that I perceive it is um, it helps me have an awareness of what is missing, um, grieving what is lost. And so even Matt's idea of divorce, right? Um, that conversation is, I'm looking for God's comfort in the places I'm grieving the result of sin, whether it's my own sin or someone else's sin, however it's played out in the world, um, my heart is saddened by those things. Uh, and so that, that's where I need God's comfort so that it, it doesn't weigh me down every day to mm-hmm. remember, oh, there is a, a hope um, for the future and that these things will be restored. But I'm trying to stay very aware of what is missing in this current reality that will not be missing in God's kingdom as it's fully expressed. I also think um, the, the wording of Isaiah, the comfort there is also an imperative of to like go comfort other people. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just, oh Lord, what are you giving me? But it's also how can I comfort others? And, and when, those, when we see others who are in distress, we can offer the comfort of the Lord because we have that faith. Yeah, and Paul important. picks up on that in 2 Corinthians. He says, he's the God of all comfort. He comforts us so that... Mm-hmm. Is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, so that we can comfort others with the comfort we receive. That's good. I'm comforted uh, in hearing about this four-day work week. Kelly, can you speak into, <laughs> is there any chatter in the elder board? Even if America, <laughs> even if America culturally moves to the, towards a four-day work week, I, I would say to Christians, be really careful. Gosh, yeah. Because I, God only gives us one day off a week. Hmm. I'm not... No, I'll go so far as say it's not good for our souls not to work. Yeah. It could be a ruse. Is that the right word? could be a, a subtle, um, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous yeah. to, to loaf around, do nothing. Giving ourselves to pleasure more often. Yeah. Comes with a lot of danger, risk. Danger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, and it, it's uh, it's probably a balance of of work as well. So like, when growing up, my dad worked three days in a row, twelve hour shifts or right. some he crazy thing in, like right. that. Nurses do that, today. and yeah. right, right. And so then it's like, well, firemen do. Yeah, have three days off a week, but right. <laughs> yeah, know, four days on. It's three like a block off. schedule. Right, it's a block yeah, yeah, schedule. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, yeah. I'm just. The way that a four but that's day not what they're talking about. No, the way right? that a four day work week is being talked about, and I get it. Productivity may be increased with the four day work week at the at the place of work. Um, you would just encourage people to continue working of, in, in some way in their manners. hours outside <laughs> yeah. of the workplace. Yeah, yeah. So when, don't don't take Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to just too, lay on the couch. Far too many. And I'll speak for the culture I know, um, in the suburban American culture, far too many are living for vacation. That's not a life. And far too many are living for retirement. 
That's not a life. So we need to, we need to, I speak to my kids about, you have gifts, you have a calling, and which means you're to be serving the Lord in a particular area. We need to find, identify our gifts and find our calling and then begin serving the Lord in that area. There's purposefulness in that. Yeah. Hey, Glen Ellen Bible Church, I want to invite you to an informational meeting this Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m., June 4th. Love to have you out to hear the details on being a part of a core team. We're asking 30 families this fall to go to worship at Poplar Creek beginning August 27th, ending December 31st. By simply attending, uh, being warm and friendly and singing passionately, you can make a momentum difference in helping Poplar Creek attract and retain new worshipers. Poplar Creek has one Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m. and about 65 in attendance weekly. We praise God for that and those in attendance, and God's doing good things there at Poplar Creek. But by attending, you'll help fill out the worship center and add momentum to the worship effort. If you'd be interested in considering this, attending the info meeting doesn't obligate you to be a part of this effort, but gives you the opportunity to ask your questions. We're also going to spend some time in prayer together for the effort to reach the neighborhoods around Poplar Creek. Join us June 4th, 10.30 a.m. in the upstairs conference room. Uh, Next one, it's interesting to think about the comfort that the world provides. For example, wealth, pleasure, power. I find these things satisfying to a level. How do I battle their lure? A.K.A. vacation, retirement. Yeah, vacation's not bad, and (laughs) I thought for sure I'd get a question. Are you saying we can't retire as Christians? That's not what I'm saying. That's what Kelly believes, though. (laughs) (laughs) Retirement would not do my soul well. It's just, I, I, I think... And I'm in a I'm in a vocation that you know, Lord willing, I can work um, a long time. I, I get it. If you're a bricklayer, your body wears oh, out. Gosh, yeah. your, your body wears out. So anyway, um, but work is also not just what you get a paycheck for. Correct. So, That's what I'm. Thank so you. I might retire from a role where I'm receiving a paycheck. Yeah. But now I'm freed up to work in other ways. Right. Continue to serve. To serve. Yeah. yeah. Are you speaking? You're kind of talking about like like. If you know John Piper's famous yeah. sermon about "Look at my seashells, Lord," from the retired couple that that spent died, spent all their life on spent the spent all their life. Well, their, their retired life on the beach collecting collecting shells. shells. Like, would you? Would you? Uh, how would you counsel a, a a married couple maybe that retires at sixty and they do? They just they're done. They're done. Like they worked hard, but they're done. They're not doing any work. It's just rest for the next twenty years. Yeah, let um, me go the other way. Let me say this. We have some folks, several, in our church that retired before the age of 60 and plugged in. They didn't detach. Yeah, right. That's, that's what I would encourage. They plugged in. They, they sit on boards that are nonprofits, that are building the kingdom. Yeah. They're traveling to encourage missionaries. Yeah. They're holding babies downstairs on Sunday morning so overwhelmed parents can get an hour of worship in. So the danger is that we make the last season of our life, the winter of our life, all about us. And life's not all about us. It involves us. It includes us. It's a blessing to us. But it's about Christ and his kingdom. Yeah. And and we just need to be really careful. So how do we battle the lure uh, of these things? Because it's not just retirement. It's all things that are all around us. Yeah. So first thing I'd say is if you're drawn in by those things, you are not alone. (laughs) Our flesh thrives on those things. 
but those things lead to death if when we when we engage in them if we're not if we're not careful uh, in excess in excess right so uh so in the book of john the, the the apostle john writes for everything in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the boastful pride of life comes not from the father but from the world the world in its desires pass away but whoever does the will of god lives forever so um Paul writes in, um, and I'm drawing a blank on where it is, I think it's to Timothy, um, every good gift comes down from the Father of lights um, who does not change. So while everything in the world is a gift from God uh, to be enjoyed, um, the ethos of the world, the culture of sin in the world perverts the good gifts of God turning them into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, that is a consumptive desire, uh, and a, a, it makes it about me, a boastful pride. So while, while the experience of life and being in the world is meant to be a blessing, the sin, the collective sin of the world corrupts and perverts the gifts of God. And so we just need, what I have found is realizing that these things in increasingly lead to death, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust. So increasingly realizing that, coming to terms with the, the, the appetite for consumption in the world and, and acquiring more things and attaining a certain position or having significance or success, or whatever it is for you, those things can lead to death as they feed the flesh. And the more I own that, realize that, I stop toying with sin, which is not to say I'm sinless, but... Yeah, I mean, I think you can evaluate it to a degree of um, what am I devoting my primary energies to, right? What am I using the gifts God's given me, whether it's my skills, my time, whatever. Um, is it to pursue greater levels of comfort or is, you know, is there something there? Um, that and with that idea of sin is, um, do I have am I increasingly repulsed by sin? Am I more convinced that it's not satisfying, that I actually don't want the sin, so it's allure is reduced? Doesn't mean it's necessarily gone away. Um, but the closer I get to God, I think, believe that the, the less appeal that sin actually has, because we're, we're convinced of the death that it actually brings. Um, and if that's not true, I mean, I get it, right? We all probably have that at different things in our life. Um, but if it's not true, we may be placing hope, trust, desire in something other than God, and we've just probably misordered some of our priorities. I think it's helpful also to realize where we are in life and seeing that every day is a gift from God. Um, one of the pastors, at, or someone who came to spoke at Wheaton, he talked about the idea that if we're all living in a hotel room and we're making like these giant... Um, like renovations to the room, like we're gonna cut out the bathroom or like refix it all. But like you realize that we're not actually gonna live in this hotel room forever. I think realizing that we live day to day, the Lord has to renew our, renew our days. Every morning is like a gift from him. I think the idea of like putting more comfortability in our life of like, oh, I'm gonna renew this hotel room. This body's not my own. It's, gonna, it's for the Lord's purpose. And so I think knowing that our days are numbered um, is a helpful reminder for me, at least, when I'm trying to think, oh, should I go buy something else? Or, like, should I go live a more comfortable life? Or should I honestly just give everything up to the Lord? 
and trust him and his plan for my life. That's good. All right, last one. Uh, on Sunday, you mentioned that hope is something that needs to be exercised. How? Can you give some tangible ways to do that? Yes, um, I, did, I did say that. And um, I, I mentioned these things in, in the sermon. Probably should have camped out here a little longer. But I did say we exercise this kind of hope when we pray, when we spend time in God's word, when we choose righteousness over sin, when we put our others uh, before ourselves, when we see Jesus as our greatest treasure. I said something similar. I said that if you, if you need comfort, it comes by finding yourself in the will of God. So uh, identifying with Christ and following after Christ in obedience. Uh, I closed with a, a passage on how comfort comes to us as we're embracing the sufferings of Christ. Oh, yeah. So it was, so what you're doing here, I just wanted to kind of, you're giving ways to actually strengthen or increase the experience of hope. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Through, through activities. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there are times when we let our hopelessness be consuming and it feels willful. Mm-hmm. I can speak into this because I've lived it. Um, because it, 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 it's, it's especially pertinent in ongoing, ongoing chronic illness. Yeah. So if you've ever dealt with uh, ongoing a chronic issue, where you are in prayer, and I'm talking years and years, and you know, and you're not, you may not be seeing um, relief. Prayers answered yeah. in the way that you were hoping. You may not be seeing relief. You may not. Um, a lot. Sometimes, if it persists, you just you just hit the off button, and it is willful. I think, mm-hmm. at least for me, it was. It's willful. It was just like you know, I'm just done. <laughs> done. I'm not gonna pray. I'm not gonna add. What's the point? Like you start to go down that road, mm-hmm. but you're doing it willfully. Like, you know, and so I, I would encourage folks who experience that to, to, to recognize when you start to open that door and go down that path and to, to cut it off, you know, just to, to turn and go the other direction. It starts with prayer. Um, yeah, I think, you know, one of the other pieces there, one of the reasons we say doing kind of living this Christian life is so important in community um, is that idea. Step one, at least for me, has often been to confess the reality mm-hmm. of it, right? The, the reality of I'm sad or this is missing or I'm suffering because if I just keep it in myself and try to pretend like, ah, it's all good, everything, um, it's much easier to go to that place of numbing or uh, just turning off the hope switch because I'm not actually telling yep. people what is true. Um, and the longer that I deny what is true, the further and further I get from getting to live in that comfort of God. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for me, at least it's been, step one has, has often been inviting other people into yeah. And you know what, I'm, in my experience, I am less likely to go down that road on a Sunday after church. Hmm. I'm less likely to go. So the discipline of getting to church just yields hope. Yes, yeah. being in the comfort of God's people, hearing people praise, singing worship songs, hearing the word pray, like it's encouraging. It, it's harder for me to go down that road on a Sunday. On a Wednesday, it's a little easier. Mm-hmm. On a Thursday, it's even easier. You know, like I think it can also be more than just Sunday mornings as well, because I think the art of storytelling is really helpful hearing people's um, stories of just how they've themselves come to faith or even just how they've seen God work in their own lives. 
um, small groups are definitely help for that for for me at least. And I think um, when I hear how the Lord has answered other people's prayers, it makes me think, oh, He might be able to answer my prayers too, and it increases my faith. And that's been a big blessing and help on my own life as well. Mm, so, that's good. plug for community. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that the scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends a learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only our faith, but our uh, my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the next level. Prophecy.